Hey guys, what's up? It's Lizzie Jane. We're back with another week of the Lizzie Jane podcast. This week, I have the one and only Jason Ross joining me. He has just been absolutely killing it. You may know him from his early days on Huana Beats to now he's part of the Ophelia Records family. He just finished his absolute most insane headline towards date following his sophomore album, the Atlas album. We talk about so much. This was just such a lovely conversation for new viewers here coming from Jason Ross's fan base. Welcome. He is such a lovely human. And I hope you guys take the time to explore the podcast. I have podcasts with Trivecta and Blank and Last Heroes and so many more of the Ophelia family members. This was such a joy. Don't forget, we have this podcast ad-free only on my Patreon. Um, I offer group lessons, one-on-ones, so on and so forth at www.patreon.com backslash this is Lizzie Jane. And I hope you guys are having a beautiful week. Let's get to it. You're tuning into my podcast with special guest, Jason Ross. The show today was brought to you by Vitaplur E-Boost Gum. With no pill to take or powders to mix, Vitaplur E-Boost Gum is a first-of-its-kind energy rave supplement that provides magnesium, electrolytes, and antioxidants while you chew. Vitaplur is the perfect complement to my active lifestyle, whether it's at the festival, on the road touring, or hitting the gym. Chew Vitaplur and dance with confidence. Use code LizzieJane for 10% off any order. Jason Ross. Oh my gosh. Welcome to the Lizzie Jane podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And just as we were discussing before, your life has been quite the conundrum as of lately. So, so busy. Yes. Yeah. Since the since the pandemic, I think it was, yeah, you're right. It was, it was nonstop. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like from your debut album into just the whirlwind of tours that you were a part of everything with Ophelia Records to doing one-off stops with Nightmare and Slander and so on and so forth into your second sophomore album and then in 2022 doing the Atlas tour which was just absolutely massive yeah yeah it's it's not stopping which is great always keeping busy um yeah absolutely um, so I would love to first off just say that you've really kind of paved this path as people who are familiar with Jason Ross or you're just getting to know him here on the podcast. You know, I know that your discography really just spans amongst a huge variety of subgenres in electronic dance music. You've always kind of not kept yourself in that one box, one lane, whether it's, oh, I'm only trance, oh, I'm only melodic dubstep, oh, I'm only prog house. Um, is that something when you kind of started to create the Jason Ross project that was going to be at the forefront? Or did you just take your like creative influences and inspirations as they came to you? Like, I would love to know about the beginning of your project and like what your intentions were to what you're doing now. And it's just like, this journey that your sets kind of take you on in all these different directions and all of these different emotions and feelings. Yeah, I think it was kind of like the latter of what you're saying that my creative influence has kind of inspired me to to try new things. But kind of rewinding back, it, it kind of what got me into this music was like trance and 
you know, Anjuna beats and above and beyond that whole thing. Um, like in college, I was like, you know, um, I guess being more, uh, open to, I, I guess even rewinding back even further, I first heard, I don't know, ATB till I come in like early 2000 and I was living in Minnesota. Nobody was listening to dance music. It wasn't a thing back in the day, but I had just come about this song and then hearing other like, um, what was it called? Like, uh, these radio hits, like these dance hits for some reason, my ears just perked up when I heard anything that involved these emotional melodies that you wouldn't hear in on the radio. Um, like every time we touch, like, you know, as cheesy as it sounds like these are the things that perk my ears at a young age. Um, and then fast forwarding, um, to college, I was like hearing more dance music. This is like 2007, 2008. Um, I went, I ended up going to like some fraternity party and there was this DJ playing progressive trance. And that was like my first time hearing a set, like a DJ set with this kind of music. And I reached out to this guy. I was like, who is that guy? Who was that DJ? You know, and he ended up being like a mentor of mine. He got me into like the DJ scene in San Diego. Um, so trance was like always my thing that I was always like gravitating to. And, um, you know, then hearing, you know, going even digging even deeper, I found in Juna beats and above and beyond their group therapy podcast. Um, and that's when I was like, that's the kind of music I want to make. It was like, you know, I want to be on Juna beats. I want them to play my music on their podcast. Um, and that was kind of like my mission, my goal, you know, getting into production was to like make trance music that could be played by above and beyond. Um, that's where it all started. And then, you know, fast forwarding, you know, meeting Jeff seven lions and hearing that, you know, melodic dubstep, which was kind of like trance inspired dubstep, you know, that that's kind of what brought me into making more, I guess, like broadening my, my palette of Mm -hmm. breaking outside of trance, but keeping that emotional melody that I, you know, that got my ears perked at like when I was 11 years old. So I was always, it was always just like this natural curiosity uh, of hearing new influence and being inspired by that. But also you can probably tell from my discography, every, the sound hasn't really changed. The only thing that's really changed is like the tempo and the rhythm, but the emotional, um, feeling and the melodies i think have always stayed true to like what i love as an artist and what i love is like a fan of this music so yeah absolutely i feel like whenever i think of jason ross it's like an accumulation of exactly what you just said it's kind of like the same theme and motif in like every body of work where it's this combination between very strong melodies harmonies so on and so forth and very strong vocalists that you choose to work with that push that like driving factor home in each and every single ep album um given that you know i think we're in this very weird time where i 
I believe that Ophelia has paved this path, like just what you said with Seven Alliance, where, you know, it's keeping the melodic, melodic influence and it's keeping these song structures full and whole. And it's not necessarily intelligent dance music, but it's definitely not four on the floor, root note, dubstep. And it's like this very beautiful combination of things. And that's why I think yourself, Sam, Trivecta, Last Heroes, Crystal Skies, all of those guys, Blank, JP, have just really created music that have such a longer shelf life compared to, I would say, the average dubstep or the average melodic dubstep track. And a lot of the conversations that I have now with other colleagues and other A&Rs and industry professionals is so much of how do we you know, keep the realness of the music and keep the melodies driving while producing on a DAW that causes you to sound sometimes very robotic or repetitive or very so much in a box. I know that understanding music theory and understanding, you know, major, minor, augmented, diminished chords are not a necessity to be a producer, but it definitely fucking helps you. Did you have previous music training? Did you play instruments? Like, did you have music theory background that you brought into trance and furthermore into melodic dubstep? Um, that's a good question. Uh, so no, I okay. don't really have, well, you know, I, I like, I don't have that music theory where I'm like thinking, oh, I want to, you know, work in like an a diminished, you know, triad, whatever, you know, yeah. um, I think what's kind of brought me to here is hearing, listening, um, you know, um, I, well, for one, I played the saxophone, so I guess there is a little theory and I think playing the sax, which is like a, you know, it's just like a mono lead. Like it's like playing on silent, you know, just one note at a time. Like, I think that kind of gave me the tools and the experience, um, and that ear to listen for melodies. So, um, and to kind of create my own melodies. Um, so there is that part where I think I'm, I, I've was able to create melodies that just by having that experience of, of playing an instrument, but mm-hmm. when it comes to like full, like making pads and chords and stuff like that, I'm kind of just using my ear. So I'll have like a session, I'll open, like I'll open Ableton and, you know, bring, bring on like an Omnisphere, you know, string pad. And just start playing on my keyboard, you know, maybe playing some root bass notes and then adding, you know, making a chord out of it. Um, And I'll kind of just build it off of that. But a lot of it just comes to my, I guess, intuition of what sounds good to me. Um, It usually always starts with like a chord progression and then it builds off of that. But I won't. But if I have a chord progression that I don't really drive with, I'll probably just scrap it. Um, so everything kind of builds off of like, you know, having that f- core core progression melody that I resonate with. If I don't, I probably won't finish the track or I'll start over. Um, yeah. So I think it's just all ear for me. I, I think that a lot of people get lost in like the technicalities and like the technical aspects and whether you're mixing as you go and you're gain staging and you're post-processing and it really all does come down to that. I don't know if you've ever done mentorship or just, you know, taught elementary production students, but a lot of the times it's so much of 
you know what, if it sounds good, go with it. Like it doesn't always have to be technically right. It doesn't always have to be, you know, sitting at negative six at your highest maximum peak and just having that musical influence. And I know obviously trance definitely helped influence that because trance is just such a, as far as electronic dance music genres is definitely one of the most melodic genres out there in terms of bending arpeggios and melodies and building saws and all so on and so forth so going into your creative process is that really how you just start to create these beds of music for you know your albums like was like looking back at your albums a thousand faces your debut album into atlas your sophomore album you know listening through they do have a lot of those same motifs and sounds however it just seems like it's this more mature, developed overall feeling between both albums. And do you test that to just your maturity as an artist and you figuring out things as it goes and as time goes on? Or did you go into each album with a different creative influence and a different creative process? Um, I kind of figured it out as, as I went on, but... Um... I think just when I started to make a thousand faces, it was kind of like that time where I was like, kind of wanted to somewhat make a statement of like, this is who I am. You know, some of you may know me from trans. Some of you may know me from, you know, Ophelia and melodic dubstep. Um, but I felt like that was a good time to like showcase. This is who I am. My, like you said, like my, more my more matured, version of me my more evolved i felt like i had a good sense of who i was at the time that i thought this is a good good time to showcase who i am as an artist um and then you know work then starting to work with vocalists that was also a new thing for me because if you see my discography i think like most of my injuna beats releases were instrumental songs purely melody driven songs and then getting to you know, evolve out of that. And um, I saw that a lot of melodic dubstep had these vocals, you know, you heard a lot of like Seven Lions with working with Halion and, you know, Fiora and all this stuff. Um, that was definitely something that I felt I wanted to explore also. Um, so working on the album gave me an opportunity to, you know, start to have these writing sessions with people. Um, which was a really great experience because I learned so much just, you know, about making a song that doesn't just have like this amazing melody, but also has like this theme behind it. So it's almost like another layer of a song um, for like fans to connect with. Cause I, for me, I connect, at least I, I did connect uh, originally with melodies um, and I think the vocals and lyrics were always kind of like an afterthought for me, mm -hmm. uh, just because that's just what I gravitated to. Um, but now to then have this experience writing vocals and, and working with these vocalists and writers, for one, it's given me a huge appreciation for what they do. But for another, it's like, it's made me look at songs in a totally different way. Um, that melody isn't everything. I think um, having a good vocal, I think 
there's a lot of value to that as well for people to connect to, for people to connect with, but also for me to connect with my own music in a deeper way than I've never really felt before. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I feel like exactly what you said sometimes, just from like a producer's point of view, it's difficult for a melody to really coexist with a very strong vocal that's kind of jumping an array of octaves or she's belting and then she's in her kind of alto era and and all and so on and so forth and then you put vocal stacks and harmonies and all of that stuff and I think it goes from so much of kind of having the song exist in its own universe to shaping a song around a very important element that's going to drive it home and for so many consumers and like obviously I, I'm sure you have kind of sat back and evaluated your journey, whereas, you know, the Juana Beats journey and portion of your career compared to a lot of the songs now that have Haleen and have Dia Frampton and have these very strong vocalists. I'm sure that's what so many of your fans really attach themselves to those hooks, those those, uh, you know, melodies that are driven through the vocals and you know whether it goes from the song name into the chorus into the pre-drop vocal that vocal can really from a consumer standpoint take the forefront of how regular fans of electronic dance music and of music in general remember the songs you know that i remember kind of getting into electronic dance music and when i was 17 18 and going okay well None of this is really on the radio, except for stuff like every time we touch, except for stuff that has those hooks and has those vocals that are, you know, for most people now that have a very short attention span, that's what they're remembering. That's what's making the song a hit. And I think it's really cool now, too, where, you know, you still have songs that balance out the the vocally driven singles or singles of your albums that you're releasing and then you can still have songs that really focus on the instrumentation and the melody because sometimes I think when you don't have that balance maybe I don't know as as yourself now do you feel artistically fulfilled like do you feel like your current discography and your albums are you making every bit of music that you have a desire to make currently within the Jason Ross project good question um I do feel fulfilled I think um it was a challenge at first for me creatively to like you know go into writing with vocals um because for so long my melodies would to me feel like the vocal um there would be like a, a lead but now it's kind of like taken uh replaced with like a vocal there is a way to kind of make them work like together but i think like um making sure that the vocal has their own space um is definitely has definitely become more important for me i of like not overcomplicating it i think for me i could like put a vocal over of uh, a lead over a vocal and to me that would sound great but i think to most of the people it would sound like where's the focus you know mm -hmm. is it the lead is it the the vocal like what so i think there's definitely been like a a lesson in holding back of like doing too much um 
but I, I definitely like it. It definitely feels like the right thing. I, the thing is, I, I won't do something if I don't feel creatively fulfilled. And I think, you know, um, I think you can see it from the discography. Like it's never been, um, it always kind of feels like me. Um, you know, even like, even like playing hard style in my EDC set to me, that felt natural and it felt right. And, uh, it felt authentic. Um, so yeah, um, it definitely was like, uh, uh, something that I had to kind of really dive into and figure out like, how does this work for me? Um, but I definitely feel like I'm, I'm at a good place where, um, I can do all of the things. And, and even like if, if I make a song that may be more radio friendly or stream friendly, I can always just write another Injuna Beats tune that's in, an instrumental. Um, for example, I have one coming out in, I think a month. That's just Exciting. a fully instrumental song on Injuna Beats. Um, so definitely to have that creative freedom is really nice for me that I can like, I don't have to work on one style forever. I can kind of like do whatever that really is, is creatively freeing for me. And I think that's a learning lesson really attested to how you established your project in a sense, because you you've released so across the board for so long that when you put out something, it's not this left field oh, wow, this is new, this is exciting, but maybe the whole fan base may not be on board with it. And, you know, and and that's always okay. I, I think that artists should always be encouraged to keep evolving their sound, keep doing what makes them feel artistically happy. But the fact that you do feel fully artistically fulfilled in everything that you do, I think is one, amazing, and two, something that a lot of professional musicians and touring producers don't always have the pleasure of saying I've, I've spoken with quite a few people who say, you know, it's almost like a diet. It's like the 80, 20 rule. Like I make 80% of what I know is going to fit in the pocket that my fan base loves. And then I get to use the other 20% to do weird left end stuff, whether it's hard style or experimental bass or down tempo that makes me feel like I'm continuing to challenge myself. And that kind of spark that you have when you start making music of wow this is amazing and fun and new and I don't want to put it down and this doesn't feel like a job um but I think that now more than ever a lot of new artists especially Ophelia artists wanna beats artists I mean just across the board that I've been seeing on Dimmock on Thrive these labels are starting to diversify their discography of artists that they're bringing on via you know artists and repertoire to encourage artists not to just fit in that pocket because i've watched artists like ricky like nitty gritty you know from day one he was like i'm doing everything and he's one of the most talented producers that i know but it was so hard you know he said it was so hard for his fan base to get on board because it was like am i a bass dj am i jersey house or am i jersey club am i doing you know bass house on chami's label he would have a release on dimmock and then confessions and then thrive and then you know some base label and it was always so amazing but he said it was just such an uphill battle and i feel like ophelia and wannabeats has always created that space 
for such a diversified selection of artists to do whatever the hell they want and be supported in that lane. And so much of it is that like less is more conversation where as I've always said, if you can make dubstep, you are one of the most, you know, and and when I say dubstep, I mean kind of like musically driven, melodic driven, that holophilia lane, you, Seven Lions, Blank. It's a very difficult genre to master. And if you can master that, everything from the composition standpoint to mixing down to mastering it to handing it off all in your studio, you can really tackle a lot. And then I tried to write pop music and pop music is a totally different, you know, lane where you can overcomplicate and and finding that like happy point, that 99 to 100% done point in pop music when your head just goes, should I be adding more here? Shouldn't there be more elements? Why is this track so many, so few tracks, but you know, why is it not showing full on Voxband or on my Spectrum Analyzer? That's a whole nother aspect in itself. So when you started working with vocalists, I know it was definitely an adjustment, but did that change your creative process? Would you start writing a track with a vocalist in the room or are you always going to create a bed of music before you send it off to a vocalist that you would like to work with or you're pitching it out? It's it always it's always different. Like so, Like I would just naturally have a lot of instrumentals, you know, when I was first getting into this that I would then send out to vocalists. Mm-hmm. Just be like, you know, it was very like black and white, like here's a song, send it to them, hope to get something back. Um, but then I started to realize that there's kind of like a disconnect between the producer and the vocalist when it's just very um, transactional of like, here's a song, all right, go do your thing and then see if it makes sense for for you as an artist to... to to release it um so yeah but you know as i've gotten more into writing with vocalists i've done a lot more in session sessions with them mm-hmm. just yesterday i had a couple writers over at my place and working on a new thing um but it's kind of evolved into um not sending them a full-fledged instrumental it's more of like there's musical beds there's maybe like piano and string um to kind of just get because i've I've learned that writers feel a little more constricted when there's already a song made mm-hmm. it's like then they try to figure out how do i fit into this already you know made thing versus when you send them something that's very stripped piano string it gives them more of an opportunity to well, a if it's if the instrumental is not in their the right key for them, then it's like okay, well then I have to go back. So and much work. Repitch the song, mm-hmm. and that's you know who knows if I've like already frozen several tracks in the project that I then need to go to the older project and get this get the uh, VST running. Um, so, and also a pro with using just like a stripped uh melody bed is you can make it faster you can make it slower you can pitch it up pitch it down um there's a lot less variables um in doing that um just yesterday for example just because it's fresh on my mind uh i had a few melodies that i was showing them and they like this one 
we then were like, okay, great. Is it in the right range for you? Yes. No. Okay. Pitch it up down. Um, is this a good tempo? You know, we had, a, there's a lot more freedom to think I can go back and, you know, just move that piano MIDI up or down a semitone or whatnot. Um, but yeah, so it started with instrumentals, as you could probably imagine, just me making instrumentals daily to then um, getting a melodic bed. Or we get in the situation where I, you know, my management or my publisher gets top lines that I listen to that I really connect with. And then boom, you know, then I kind of make the song around that, around the vocal. So it really is just a case by case kind of thing. Absolutely. And I feel like when you guys are working together, um, you know, they are considered a full on collaborator. And I think that it was a it was a very hard adjustment for, I think, certain lanes of producers to realize that vocalists are just as important to the song, whether they're writing or you have a collaborative writer in the room and then you have the vocalist on top of it as anything else, because they're really driving home the theme of the song and they're really driving, you know, they're, they're just so important. And like speaking with vocalists that, you know, do predominant vocals like Haleen and Soundar and Danny King and all of those, even to people like Evan Gia that have done features, but have really decided to push their own discography through those opportunities of working with, you know, Elenium and What's So Not and so on and so forth to create their own project. And now they're performing on their own. It's it's really awesome to see just the electronic dance mu- music community grow in the fact of saying, okay, it's not just us. And I think that was a stigma that when I first came into, you know, when I was 19, 20, and I was like, this is what I want to do. I need to take my musical background and adjust it to learning a DAW. You know, there were so many people that were like, it's kind of like a one man deal for a while. You know, you're really like in this four wall, five wall room working with yourself you know, learning and improving and X, Y, and Z and coming from a band background, I'm so used to art being like a collaborative effort. And I'm so in the mindset that the more people there are, maybe it may be harder to agree on something to really stick with, but you're going to have more of an opportunity window to get better ideas and bounce ideas off of each other and so on and so forth. And I feel like that's so much of what, you know, vocalists serve. And even now, I feel like when I collaborate with other artists, if you have the opportunity to working in the same room brings out so much more, even if you're doing kind of like the roundabout where it's one hour in a chair, the other person's planning what they're doing, you switch it off, you get in the next chair and they're planning what they're doing or you're side by side and writing the song together. You just have that energy in the room that you're not going to get by communicating over email or even communicating over Zoom. Totally. Yeah. And I think it wasn't until I started to get do these sessions in person that I had so much of a you know, respect and appreciation for what they do. Cause for so long, it, it just was like, it felt so separated. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh yeah, you guys just write your thing and send it back and we'll see if like we like it or if we can make improvements or something. But it's such a different muscle, um, that when you're, when you're in the studio and you 
come in with a blank slate of like maybe just like a piano and you're with the you're with the writer you're with the vocalist um and it and you just get so much of a better uh product in the end you know like a better song that like means something to me too like the song we wrote yesterday there's things that i took from my life experience that kind of was fused into the theme of the song um but also just to like see them you know arrange these words into some kind of song structure it just like blows my mind it's something that i just can't do on my own um so just like getting that one-on-one or like uh experience to just be in the room with them made me realize how much they do you know i um bring to the table in terms of making a song that people can relate to on a deeper level than even like melodies can you know absolutely and i mean i feel like not necessarily i think in edm you're expected to have this huge musical output but when you start working on i would say there's like i talked to somebody sometime that i can't remember who it was but they said that they write like pieces of like bodies of art like real records and then they have tracks like like they'll have like real records where they're working with an artist and they're working with a vocalist or they're collaborating and it can take up to you know sometimes years sometimes a few months as far as sessions making sure everybody's on the same page getting it to a point where you're like yes this is it and then you have tracks that you can write overnight and they're instrumental and you're like i'm ready to go it's done i'm happy with it um You've been touring kind of all over the place since COVID kind of opened its gates and you've been out of them. How has running these sessions, working with vocalists, considering, you know, a lot of your tracks off your last two albums have been, in my opinion, lifetime records and things that have obviously shown like huge time spent Mm -hmm. on each piece of art going into each album and balancing touring at the same time? Are you someone who writes on the road? Are you someone who you do a tour and then you have to take months off to work? How has it gone since you've been really full-fledged out of the gates in the end of 2020, 2021? It's funny you bring that up because I, I think it's something that's really um, relevant to to my life right now, like as a producer of like, I put so much time into my songs. Um, especially when it's a vocal, especially when it's like more of like a something that maybe is a little more stream friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like on the album, every song I think um, had like every song was very polished. And I think that's like, and I guess how it's relevant now is like, I also want to try to make songs that could maybe just be dj tools that i could just like play on my own or have you know because i see if so many other guys like dubstep guys or like you know guys that say like oh i made this in my green room last night and i'm playing it today at the right. show. <laughs> i'm just like and i'm 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 looking i'm like uh, that's not like it's not what i do i would love to like be able to just bang out a track in a day in a night and like play it tomorrow which i essentially could but i re- I wouldn't really 
want to because it's just like music for me takes time mm-hmm. for at least the music that I make. Um, yeah, but that's like something like that I do think about. Like, I also want to be able to have things that I can play for like a live show um, that maybe doesn't take as much time as most of my music does. Uh, otherwise, because it just doesn't make sense. If 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 I have a song that's like a DJ tool to play live and I just put in like 100 hours into it or plus, you know, or worked on it for a month straight, it just doesn't really seem like a good use of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I actually did like a, a little experiment the other day of making a hard style song uh and i was like oh you know i could just make this really quick out let me just see how this sounds and i ended up working on it for like two weeks straight (laughs) Uh, yeah you know thinking like it was going to be an easy dj tool like oh it'll just be like an id that i play live and we'll think nothing of it and i'll just move on to the next song but it's like I always just end up spending so much time on my music. That's not a um, bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And I know other guys do that too. I know like um there's so many other guys. I think Flume also, like I think he spends months and you know, a lot of these guys spend a lot of time on the music. Um, but I think there is something uh about you know, maybe making songs that have Maybe like breaking that. Um, I don't know. I th- I think it's just something that I have to either accept that like music just takes me a long time, or something that I can maybe like work on, um, and break the mold of like having to having needing every song to be perfect. Um, that's something I'm. That that's why it's relevant because I'm, I'm thinking about that now. I just finished an album. I want to be able to maybe try things for fun, mm-hmm. but I feel like no matter what, I always end up wanting to make it perfect. I don't know. Something I'm it, working on. It's hard. <laughs> I mean, I'm obviously in a much different place than you are, but I think that spans across the board because it's like you're putting this piece of you out there, even if it's just a one-off hard style song. And I think the biggest thing from my kind of mental hurdles have been, you know, you want to give your your fans and you want to give your supporters and people who have invested in you as a person and you as a musician, like the best of yourself that you possibly can. And not necessarily when you've set such a high standard. I just think when you've been doing it for as long as you have and you've honed the craft of the Jason Ross project, that's part of like your entity. That's part of like the building blocks that you've kind of gone across because it's the same thing. I've literally been at festivals and watched people like Sudden Death, watch people like Dirt Monkey, just finish tracks, export it, put their master chain on it. Then they're on stage in front of like 40,000 people just playing out this track. And as much as I wish I could be that way, I and what maybe it's lack of skill set. Maybe I'm not to that point yet. It's hard for me to not take time to let a song breathe. But I think there's like 
the cons and the pros to that because the pro like the cons is art is art you know and like however whatever art you make you should be able to let it out into the world and let your fans or listeners interpret it and relate to it how they want but the pro of it is when you let a song breathe I think that you know being done with something and going to listen to it on fresh ears you know two weeks later a month later gives you that whole new perspective as if you're showing the song to somebody for the first time and Mm -hmm. I think if you like it, it is it is it's so hard because in in EDM you're definitely expected to I think release faster than slower just to keep that you know, momentum going or your relevance going or whatever they say. But then the other end of it is, I think there's definitely a conversation to be had where a lot of electronic dance music tracks have little to no shelf life unless they blow up on TikTok or they're in, you know, where you get a big publishing deal. And then that may not even really affect your project as a whole as a touring act. That's more like, great, this is a great check. It got slotted in a commercial. It got slotted in a movie or a video game. That's it. But, you know, are people going to like turn around and say like, wow, this is my favorite song ever. And I think looking through your fan base and the community that has been created following your music, whether it's from Ophelia or Wanna Beats or just people following you in general, is some of their favorite music is from your discography. And I don't think that a lot of artists have just hundreds of people who are like, this song is it. This is what I feel in my soul. This is what I connect to. This is what I put on when I'm sad. This is what I put on when I'm happy. Like to encompass all of those feelings and put something out into the world that's going to stay. I just think now more than ever is so important. And it takes time to hone that craft to be like, to know when something is ready. Because I think from an artist's point of view, it'll never feel like ready. There was always something that you can do to tweak something more. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's like what you were saying about like, um, everything, everything is just going so fast. And, you know, you put out a song and then people are, two weeks later they want something else like there's just so much music so oversaturated um and i think that's where like my mind went of like oh i need to just be making more music and um yeah but i think what you're saying of like the shelf life like i do want my music to feel timeless i do want my music to feel like not just something i i threw together in a day you know um yeah and i I think I just have like a high expectation of myself as a producer of not wanting to just put out a song that people will forget in a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, it's probably just like a different style of music that like, I think dubstep, I think um, people can make IDs a lot quicker, like yeah. where, cause it's, it's space, you know, it's like not to, not to like say anything bad about, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for, danny sudden death and all those guys that are making these crazy ids that like i can't Super even innovative my head yeah. around yeah you know um that kind of just like goes you know it's like feels 3d almost like the way that they can sound design it's wild but i think that just might be more of the culture of having 10 ids ready uh, at for, all times at all times like um whereas i think making these melodies uh, that I think, um, 
you know, I, I think just think it's, I don't know, like, it's hard for me to like, put, put a, a song idea out on Twitter and just be like, check this out. Like, you know, I think it's just a different culture. Um, but I think also maybe the other part is myself, maybe just like, um, feeling like everything needs to be perfect. Um, you know, not so much premeditated, um, you know, in terms of social media. Um, but I think like my music, I, I don't know. I just, maybe that's just me coming from the Injuna beat side where, you know, there were such high standards of, you know, perfection. And I think that kind of also why I felt like the natural move was going to Ophelia. I just think they, they have a very similar high standard of music. Um, you know, getting into it, getting my first opportunity to release on Injuna Beats. Um, I was like, oh man, I'm, I got to go up against, you know, Above and Beyond and Andrew Bear and Elon Bluestone, like these guys that I would look up to. And I was like, man, I really got to like step it up. Um, because for them, like they, that was like that kind of, that music that they put out on that label. It just like, I saw it in just such like a high, um, it was just like a huge goal of mine for so long that then when I had the opportunity, I was like, man, I really gotta, I really gotta step it up. Um, and then, you know, working with Jeff, all these guys I, I had looked up to as a, as a producer. Um, so I think feeling like I need to be on that level, I think made me really, um, try hard to, to not just make something that, could just pass the smell test kind of thing, but something yeah. that could, it could stand on its own, uh, you know, amongst these, to me, like legends of, of this kind of music. So I think that's maybe part of it. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that definitely isn't a testament to, you know, your collaborations with Jeff, with Griffin, with Slander, with these guys who have really hold, held the same standard. Um, for a very, very long time. And speaking of Ophelia, you know, how was, I would love to know about the transition of when you know, you knew it was the right time. Were you very close with Jeff personally? I, I feel like the whole Ophelia train, I really saw coming during COVID when you guys did those live streams. And that's when Sam, because Sam used to live when I was in Florida, a mile from me. So watching him, I mean, go from like being a part of the Ophelia family to what he's doing now, which I mean, it was a long time coming. Anyone who knows him knows he's just the sweetest fucking human ever. And he has such like a unique lane, but like Ophelia really put him on. And I feel like you had already had kind of your own lane going with Hawana Beats and you could have continued down that lane what was the moment when you knew, okay, this is the right move for me. This is the group of people that I want to continue kind of being in that little lunch table with, but still doing my own thing because it's not all with Ophelia Records, even though like that is your home. You do have like this other entity in your project that still does stuff with Ohana, that still does stuff, you know, independently or with other labels. Yeah, I think there's like two parts there. Okay. Two. I think the first part is transitioning from Injuna Beats into Ophelia. 
uh, I think it was more like, I think 2017, 16, actually, I think, I don't know, whenever group therapy 250 was at the gorge. Okay. Uh, well, we had, so Jeff and I had made a song on Injuna Beats while I was still on Injuna Beats, like a staple. Um, we made a song called Higher Love. Um, and it was the first time I think dubstep was released on Injuna Beats, like a dubstep drop. So, um, and that's the first time I made any kind of melodic dubstep. Uh, and it was really well received. Uh, Above and Beyond would be playing it all the time and and stuff like that. And then um, I think he had joined my management. So we we had the same management just out of the blue. It's like, oh, Seven Lines is on my management now. Cool. Great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, you know, Above and Beyond has like a yearly big show called Above and Beyond's Group Therapy. You know, I think right now they're on like 500. So every every 50 shows, uh, they have like just a big yearly big show. And they they have, it's like Above and Beyond plays, but they also have other artists that play as well. Usually people from Injuna Beats. And whoever was making up the lineup had this crazy idea like, oh, Jason Ross should go back to back with Seven Lions. Um, and I was like, how does that make sense? Okay, <laughs> like we, we have a song together, cool. But like, he's like all, he's he's so diverse. He's like playing everything, you know, from Psytrance to dubstep to, you know, all this. And I just play trance. Like that's, I'm just one lane. And so we figured it out. Um, and I think from from that of like creating the set together to just hanging out together, like I would fly to Seattle to work on the set. That's like how committed I was to to um, to get a good set going for the show. It was just such like a they live stream it. It's just a big event. Um, and the more I would hang out with him, the more we'd start talking of like, you know, I had this. I always loved his music, but I think I was just always too in my head of like feeling afraid to like explore outside of my trance bubble. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think just talking with him and then making ocean together, um, just made me just kind of open my eyes to that kind of style outside of trance, you know, where it like, I didn't have to totally try. Um, I didn't have to totally change up my sound to kind of make that style. It was like, I could use my sound in just other tempos and rhythms and stuff like that. Um, and then he told me he's starting a label soon. And I was experimenting with like a melodic dubstep song. And he thought that that would be a great introduction uh, for me uh, to try something new on his new label. So I think I was the first song, or I think he had a solo that was the first song on his label. But then I was like the second uh, release. So it just, I think it was just a such like a, like good timing, but just so out of the blue, like it just, all these puzzle pieces just kind of lined up at the right time. Um, That's crazy. You think yeah. it's one thing didn't really happen in that order or you said no yeah. to the back to the back because exactly. I mean, I think we all see back to backs that in the back of our head, we're like, who the fuck thought of this kind of thing. But 
that's wild. It, I yeah. definitely a right time, right place, right evolution yeah, exactly. sort of situation. And it seems like you guys are pretty close on a personal level as well. Like I feel like a very family orientation from like the whole Ophelia crew in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess on top of that, you know, after the, the back to back, he asked me to go on his bus tour, journey to tour in 2018. So yeah, you were saying like all the puzzle pieces just happened to like just fit and hanging out with him and getting to know him on a more personal level on the tour, on the bus tour. Um, we just like became really close friends. Um, and then I guess fast forwarding to the next bit, um, at, before the pandemic, we, um, I think a lot of like, just like the main, uh, artists, uh, I, I don't know. I think like we just happen to form like a, a group chat. Uh, I'm sure Sam maybe told you about this, um, of just like a few of the core artists on Ophelia as just like a way of like sending songs to each other. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of just very casual, like, Hey guys, new song out, you know, check it out. Like, you know, maybe give you, give me like a thumbs up or something or, you know, uh, so it was kind of like that. And then I think when COVID hit, we kind of used that chat as somewhat of like a crutch to like, we were all in the same boat, like all shows, you know, vanished. And we kind of just used this chat as like, uh, a life preserver of like trying to figure out like what, what comes next? What, where do we go from here? You know, offering insight of like, you know, here's the new thing on COVID, you know, like this, oh, vaccines. And, um, it was kind of like, we were just trying to navigate what to do. And, and Sam was in Tribecta was in the group and, um, yeah. And I think it just turned into this like really core group of people that, you know, we're talking every day now. Um, you know, and I go, I go hiking with like Wooly and kill the, kill the noise, like every other day, pretty much. Um, which was like a huge thing for me mentally to have that outlet of like, I know you guys aren't touring right now. Let's go on a hike. You know, let's like talk, let's talk through th some things that are on our mind. Um, so it kind of just turned into a really amazing group of close friends that like, will you know, go on trips together outside of playing shows and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but then to see, uh, you know, everyone grow and like, you know, work off each other of like, you know, holding each other up to a high standard of like, you know, wanting to make the best music we can make. Uh, it's been amazing, you know, seeing i think my evolution as an artist um sam's evolution you know to see what he was doing five years ago to what he's doing now like yep solid you know really solid stuff um we actually have a collab coming out i think in a few weeks so Ooh, okay but that's been I'm really excited. fun yeah um so it's just really cool to like just have that friend group that we can go to, you know, if, you know, I don't know, it's just been a really, really cool community that we've that's built. So, just, yeah. like, that's so like healthy. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so healthy that you guys have that because I think that just as much as you all are touring, 
you have to have something else to detach. And I think it's really hard. I mean, like significant others are like amazing and they're there for you in so many ways. And they honestly all deserve like gold stars and awards and like a million dollars to deal with like a touring acts like bullshit. But I sometimes think that the only people who really understand is other people who are going through the same thing and dealing with the same mental battles, whether it's physical issues, mental issues, psychological things that are going on that just happens from you sometimes being a tour mule, which happens after a very large album release or happens on a very large tour. And I think when you don't have that detachment to go hiking or like next week, my boyfriend and I are going to go snowboarding with blank with JP. You know, it's like if you don't have that opportunity to disconnect, whether it's nature or a hobby or a club sport or something that is so far from music itself, you can really, I think, one, burn out and two, sometimes just feel lost because I've I've spoken with touring acts that have toured for years on end and they don't get much of a break and then they hit a wall. And, and if they don't take that time to really develop like outside people who can maybe hold you accountable and keep you grounded and say, Hey, this is reality. Um, I think it's really hard to sustain a huge shelf life of a career. Yeah, totally. I think you definitely need to take mental breaks and even just like even have a life outside of this world that we're in. I think if you're, if I'm living in this world a hundred percent of the time, um, and all I think about and all I talk about is music. I don't think that really does much for me uh, mentally. I think it's just, you need to have, you know, and, and you're you're right, like the, having a group of, of guys like this start in it with you and are living the same things and could maybe even like give you, offer some advice uh, is really helpful. But taking that a step further of like, even having friends outside of music that like maybe don't even listen to this music like um me and my girlfriend like we go to restaurants together and like we go with friends and we i always try to make sure that i'm not always a hundred percent you know just everything music because that just then you can come back to the studio with like a fresh mind you know mm -hmm. of like oh, i just um went out or i, I went on a trip for a couple days and i come back I didn't do anything music related. I think there's something really healthy about that, of having those routines of, you know, even like going to the gym and listening to a podcast, um, you know, um, there's a lot of benefit from having hobbies or doing things outside of the studio or outside of, you know, looking on Twitter and looking at, you know, just there's just so much going on uh, in life, but also in like music that I think if you're just bogged down, if you're scrolling through Twitter and Instagram and all this stuff and looking at what this guy's doing and what that guy's doing, what that person's doing, um, it just doesn't seem like a health. It's not a healthy thing. And I nope. could tell you just from firsthand experience, like just being in that, you know, looking through your Twitter feed and, you know, it just, I think you, somehow like you can even start to like compare yourself to other people like oh, oh I yeah 
this and that. I, I wish I was here. I wish I was doing that. Um, so I think having that kind of, um, separation, I think is really healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, I definitely agree with everything you've just said and you can just be consumed by it and, and the consumption that leads to usually the comparison game will kill every ounce of inspiration and motivation that you have, not only in the studio, but just in life in general, like it's going to be there tomorrow. It's okay. You don't have to post every day. Social media isn't the end all be all. And it's just finding that healthy balance, but it takes, I think it takes everybody a long time because everybody's on a different journey to find the balance that is right for you and the life that you're living. And it takes mistakes and it takes ups and downs. And it, it makes me very happy to hear you say that just because not only have you been doing this for a long time, it just, everyone who I, I speak with that, I don't know. I was speaking to Cray the other day and she's like, you know, you never make it, even though people look at you and you're like, wow, you've made it. You have your own support. You have your own headline tour. You know, you're not ever going to feel like you've ever like made it like you're ever really content with where you're at because you're always going to want to work for something more. But to just be able to live in the moment and say, okay, this is where I'm at. This is where I need to be. This is where I'm supposed to be. And what every other person in my lane is doing does not matter is something that has made, you know, my journey and I'm sure your journey and everybody who's gotten to that point a lot easier to sleep at night and a lot easier to be like, hey, okay, I'm good. Stop worrying just keep doing what I need to be doing. Stay consistent, work hard, put your head down. As long as you don't quit, it will eventually happen. Done. Mm. Um, so before I let you go, you have a collab with Trivecta with Sam dropping soon. Is there anything else you can tease for the fans for the Jason Ross project? I know you just finished a massive tour. You just finished album. You should be like on the beach laying face down with your phone off. But is there anything that you're working on now that you're really excited that you can maybe tease for some of your listeners? Um, I am hitting the road soon-ish. Um, I can't really say much about that, but I will be seeing a lot of people soon. Uh, on a certain tour. I think uh, I know what it is, but I'm not going to say anything. I, um, I, but yeah, the uh, the Trivecta one is coming out soon. I'm really oh, excited about that. So exciting. It's with featuring rabbits. Um, uh, and then also, like, I, I think talking about, like, trying these DJ tools, there is, I am exploring um something within that avenue because i'm working on something um i think it's going to be like you know um maybe the summer of something that i've mm, that i've never really done before okay uh it's it's i don't that's all i can say really okay but, there like, is my mind's wandering. I'm like, oh, what could this be? It, there is something that I think will go back to like the Atlas live stream that I did back in the day. There is something I'm working on. Um, love it. because a part of me, like, I, I loved doing the whole live stream thing, it was so fun for that moment. And I think just 
obviously I had to stop it because of the shows were coming back. It was like, okay, I don't need to, I don't need to like just play a mix in front of a camera. I can play a, a mix in front of people again. But a part of me, and I think a lot of fans miss that. And I think there was something to where I can um, play music to everyone. And it's just, it's not just in the US or something. Everyone can kind of tune in. It's something I've been trying to figure out. Um, So there's something I'm working on. And I think DJ Tools goes hand in hand with that. Um, So it's exciting. We'll see. We'll see what comes of it. I'm definitely going to keep an eye out. Can't wait to hear the collab. Uh, You seem like you're always pushing forward. I'm sure that we'll hear a new body of work, you know, sooner than later. We'll have opportunities to see you on the road and you're just going to keep pumping. Jason Ross, thank you so much for joining me today. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 